Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in training and admonition in the Lord of the Lord. Hey, welcome. So glad you're joining us this weekend. I'm Dan, one of the pastors here at Grace Church Norton Campus, and uh, some of you join us every week, and so I'm glad to see you again. Uh, let us know. Communicate with us. Uh, some of you may be hanging out for the first time. Glad you're checking things out. If you don't have a church home, love for you to come. Uh, 8 o'clock, 9.30, 11 o'clock, and then 5.30 on Sundays. We'd love uh, to meet you. Love for you to come. Some of you, maybe you're checking things out today and you're just kind of exploring Christianity and you're just exploring Jesus, the Bible, and you're like, I don't know what I think about all this. I want to say this. Welcome. Thank you for entrusting us with uh, this conversation. So glad that you're joining us. We're in this conversation, Book of Ephesians. If you have a Bible, you might want to open it there. And uh, we're taking like a couple weeks in that to say, let's talk about some things Paul talks about. So last week we, we did this idea, let's talk marriage. And so if you didn't get a chance to check out the sermon, you might want to do that. But there's an added extra innings, so to speak, to the sermon. Uh, I sat down uh, with my wife and Ethan, and uh, Ethan asked us some questions, and we were able to just kind of dialogue and communicate and converse about marriage, some things in marriage. If you didn't get a chance to check that out, I'd encourage you to go check that out. Today, what I want to talk to you about is family, because that's what Paul talks about in the book of Ephesians, family. And uh, we're not going to cover everything today. We're going to do an extra innings on this as well. So you might want to be looking for that somewhere around Thursday of uh, next week, Thursday. But we're going to do an extra innings. But this idea of family is relevant to all of us. Uh, here's how I know that, because we all have a family. Like, we all have a family. The fact of the matter is, when it comes to family, all of us have one. Uh, none of us chose ours. And to be honest with you, most of us think at one point in time, there's a family that's better than our family, right? Uh, some of us are parents, uh, but all of us are kids. And the importance of this topic is found in an article that I came across, Washington Post, 2021, uh, says this, the Former professor of government at Harvard University, James Q. Wilson, said, It's not money, but the family that is the foundation of public life. He's not talking from a Christian standpoint, he says it's the foundation. As it becomes weaker, every structure built upon that foundation has become weaker. So we're going to talk about family. Now, when it comes to family, there's all kinds of different pictures. That's why we're like, I don't even know what to think. What should I be thinking? Some of you are just starting with your family. Like, I don't even know what picture we're trying to put together. Uh, some of you, maybe you're in the middle of your family and you're like, man, it's so chaotic. We're just kind of surviving is what we're doing, right? Uh, fact of the matter is, we all have different pictures uh, when it comes to family. Uh, for some of us, it's just personal pictures, like our personal experience uh, kind of has an influence in what we picture when we think of family. For some of you, when you think of family, you think of warm and loving. Others of you, though, you think of fragmented and fighting. Uh, for some of us, we think of family. Some of us came from big families. Some of us from little families. Some of us came from very, very involved families. Some of us very, very detached families. 
there's some of you watching this that when I say the words dad and mom, it brings a warmth to your heart, right? There's others of you, if you're just being honest, uh, it kind of sends chills up your spine. Like we all have this personal picture and then culture adds a, a little dose of that everywhere from family got a full house, right? Or, or you got modern family to married with children. Uh, uh, you have depictions of family and here's what a good family looks like and here's what a, a, a modern family must look like. Uh, you have phenomenons where people are trying to portray for us pictures of the family. So you think to yourself, well, man, my family was kind of a mess and Culture kind of gives us this big old melting pot of all these pictures of family. So maybe I'll look to the Bible, and that's where I'll get my picture of family, which is awesome because the story of the Bible starts off with God's ideal when it comes to the family. But it doesn't take long in the story of the Bible to see God's ideal get uh, a dose of reality when sin enters. And all of a sudden, things begin to change because the family is at the center of that. Now, the story of God, if you read it, starts, this is just in the book of Genesis, with the first wife literally convincing her husband to do something God told them not to do. And then Adam, the husband, instead of saying no and taking the lead, he goes along with that whole idea and sin enters the picture. And sin has been jacking up the family ever since. Uh, you just keep looking at the book of Genesis. You don't even need to go beyond that. Uh, that first couple's sons on their way to church, one of them kills the other. Uh, you keep reading in the book of Genesis and you see Abraham, right? Father Abraham sleeping with his wife's servant. She has a kid. Then Abraham sleeps with his wife. She has a kid. And they're literally what has happened, the nations that came from each of those kids have been fighting ever since. And that's just the book of Genesis. You see, why is our picture of the family so important? Well, the, the reason it's important is because the path of success that you picture when it comes to the family uh, will be determined by the picture of success. So whatever you picture success to be in your family will determine the path you take to get there. That's why some of you, uh, the picture that you have, here's what a successful family and here's what successful uh, would mean to us as if our kids grew up and they were successful. They were popular. And so that's going to determine the path that you take. For some of you, like, I want my kid to grow up and be the star athlete. So that'll determine the path. You're going you're gonna to devote resources and priority and time and all kinds of investment to make sure that picture kind of comes to fruition. Uh, for some of you, you want to make sure that your kid is really, really smart so it determines the path that you take. And, and, and you want to devote resources and time and maybe even pressure, right, uh, on, on your kid to be smarter. Uh, for some of you, it's just, I just want my kid to be happy, right? I just want to be happy. So what happens is you begin to devote time and resources to make sure they're happy. You see, the picture that we have of family very much determines the path we take. That's why this conversation is important, because God has a picture. Let me remind you of where we were at last week, because all of these conversations are happening under the umbrella of submit to one another. So, so chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians, he's like, here's the blessings of the gospel. Here's who you are in Christ. 
And then he says this, submit to one another reverence for Christ. That's your worship response to Christ, right? And then he lays out these different examples. Last week, we looked at how does that look in a marriage? Uh, this week, we're going to look at how does it look in a family? Now, I realize I'm talking to you some, and this is, this is a hard conversation because of your experience. For some of you, maybe you're like, well, I'm not married yet, don't have a family. But I think it's a relevant conversation because he says this. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers. Do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. What is his picture? Well, let's sum it up maybe in two words. I think for parents, it's to nurture your children. I think for children, it's to honor your parents. Let's flesh that out a little bit. Parents nurture, children honor. You saw it in the passage. What does it mean? Let's start with the parents. What does it mean, parents, to nurture your children? Uh, here's what he says. He says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up. I'd circle those words. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, there's some interesting things. Can we just make note of them? He says, fathers. Why does he say fathers? Well, there might be a, a lot of reasons we can conclude there, but let's not forget that Paul just said, uh, men, uh, husbands, I want you to be the head, the leader, to sacrificially love. Uh, I, I want you to gently care. I want you to take the initiative. I want you to be the head. I want you to be the leader. And the truth is, if you're dad, you know this, it's easy for us to relegate this or delegate this to our wife. It's easy to allow our wives to lead in the area of the family. And I think it's important for us to realize he is saying fathers, and I think is implied in here, fathers and mothers, but, but men take the lead, take the initiative. There's many, many studies that are put out that as goes the father, so goes the home. That fathers, we have an impact. Now, some of you are single moms, and I want to tell you something. My heart, like I love, like you're my, some of you guys are like heroic to me because you're leading without this. And I would say God has a plan, and part of that plan is in the family of God to find men who can come alongside of your kids and provide godly examples of what it means to be a godly man. But he says, fathers. And then he says this. He says, I, here's what I want you to do. I want you to bring them up, but there's a contrast. He says, do not exasperate your children. Uh, what he's saying is nurture them. The word bring them up literally is where we get the word nurture. It's, it's to cultivate, to grow, to bring them up so that you can let them go. He says, I want you to do that instead of exasperating them. Uh, what's interesting is in uh, the ESV, it says, don't provoke your children to anger. Colossians 3 is kind of parallel to this. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. One translator said, or you'll crush their spirit. 
How in the world do we, so he says, I want you to nurture them, don't exasperate them. How do we exasperate our children? Which just think you can make a list on your own. Uh, we, we will exasperate them by neglecting them. You ever see a kid that's just like, just starving for attention? They're exasperated because they're not getting the attention from their parents. Uh, we can exasperate them by misusing our authority, by being overbearing in their life, placing on them ex expectations that they're never going to be able to accomplish. I love how the message puts this. Fathers, don't frustrate your children with no-win scenarios. You know, I've had kids come into my office like, I just can't please him. I just can't please her, my mom. Uh, the J.B. Phillips says, Fathers, don't overcorrect your children or make it difficult for them to obey the commandment. Uh, he's saying, you can be overbearing. Uh, we can be maybe overindulging. That's one way to exasperate our children. Overindulging, uh, giving them everything they want. And if that's what we do, we'll eventually exasperate everybody else. <laughs> All right? If they get everything. We, we, we can exasperate them by idolizing them. Uh, they're never going to be able to live up. We can exasperate them by counting on them for our happiness so we begin to live through them, right? All kinds of ways. Uh, you can exasperate your kids by uh, maybe living with double standards. Do as I say, not as I, right? You, you know how to fill it in, right? So the question becomes then, how do we, instead of exasperating them, uh, take the initiative and nurture them, bring them up? What does it mean to bring them up? Well, I think this this makes my mind go to this Old Testament passage. Some of you may have heard about. Maybe you've seen it sewn on a pillow. Maybe it's on a wall and a plaque at Grandma's house or something like that. But I want to show it to you in the King James Version. Here, here's what it says. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Many of you have heard this. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. Uh, many of you have heard it. Maybe you've heard it taught even. And I would suggest to you that, that it's a very common verse, very popular verse, and I would say it's a bit misunderstood. Uh, wh what is he saying? Well, I think in here is the secret to nurturing. Uh, he says, train up. Uh, what's interesting about that is this, that the Hebrew word, if you dial back into the Hebrew, that word is a word that would have been associated with a midwife. Uh, after the birth, a midwife would dip her finger in crushed grapes or crushed figs and then stick it in the mouth of the newborn infant to create an appetite, a thirst, and create the sucking sensation so that they would eat. I think the idea of nurturing is that you and I's parents create an appetite, an environment where the thirst for the things of God, where the appetite for, for the things of God is something that very early on our children get. And then he says this, train up a child. That word child in the Hebrew is, is there, it's just a child that's living under the roof of their parents. Now, I, if I'm talking to you and you're 45, still in the basement playing video games, like, you know, I'm not, right? He's talking to children who are under their, their dependents. He's saying, so train up, create the appetite, a child still dependent under our roof in the way he should go. Tell him what he should do. 
What's interesting is that's translating a Hebrew word. The Hebrew word is derek. And literally that word means in mannerisms and characteristics. And it was used of a bow that was bent. And so it, the bend was the derek uh, so that the arrow could be shot. And what he's saying here is this, train up a child in the way that he is bent. That's interesting to me. He says, train him, appetite for the taste and see that the Lord is good, this child that I can nurture in the way that he's bent. I think he's saying as parents, if we're going to nurture our kids, we're going to study them to see how they're bent. We're going to help them know who they are, and we're going to appreciate the way they're wired and gifted. And that means we're going to spend the time to know our kids. Uh, our kids may not have the same interests we have, may not enjoy the same hobbies we enjoy, may not speak the same love language we speak. I'll never forget when I was coaching football, I had a kid who was third string quarterback. And uh, he missed practice one day, and I went to talk to him the day, the next day, find out where he was at. And uh, he wouldn't look me in the eye. And I took a chance. I said, do you want to be out here? Do you want to play football? Or are you playing for someone else? He said, I'm playing for my dad. I said, where would you be? Where would you be if you were wherever you could be? He said to me, honestly, coach? His eyes lit up like nobody's ever asked me that before. I said, yeah, honestly. He said, I'd be in math club. That's what I like to do. I said, listen to me, next year I want you to go out for math club. I said, all these guys might be working for you someday, right? Yeah, I said, well, his father, after practice, was one of those dads. He was really mad because his kid wasn't getting playing time. And so he came and found me, and he got about that far from my nose, and he was telling me why his son was the next Tom Brady and this, that, and the other thing. And I just said to him, I said, sir, trying to be really kind, have you ever asked your son what it is that he would like to do. And he says, I don't know. He probably wants to be a math geek or something. You see, all of a sudden, this, this, this boy, what, what the dad wanted to do was bend him into what he wanted instead of saying, hey, my son, train up a child in the way that he's bent when he's old. That's it's interesting. The, the Hebrew kind of has this flavor when he's able to grow a beard. <laughs> I don't know what age that is, right? For my son Aaron, that was about three. You know, for you know others, I don't know, right? But 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 when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, what does it mean to nurture? Here's what it means, I think. It means that I'm going to leverage my role as a parent. I'm going to leverage my relationship with my kid to create the environment that nurtures an appetite in them for the things of God. That's what I'm going to do. So I'm going to leverage my role, leverage my relationship to do that. I want to cultivate the environment that will connect their heart with God's, that will help them grow in their relationship with Jesus. I'm going to nurture them always with this question in my mind. 30 years from today, what's going to be important? Sometimes I begin, what's going to matter the most? It's not going to matter the most that they were the hero in the baseball game. It's not going to matter the most that they scored this on their math test. I, 
pursue those, do do well at those, excel, those things all have place. But what is going to matter the most in that child's life 30 years from today? So, so how do we cultivate that? How do we leverage our role and our relationship to cultivate that? Well, he says, nurture them, and then he gives two things. You see it? In the training and in the instruction of the Lord. In the training in the instruction of the Lord. Let's take them one at a time. Uh, in the training. That word literally means, uh, you, you can write this in your Bible, discipline. It, it literally means training, rearing of a child, the education of a, dis, a child through discipline. If you're taking notes, I'd write it down this way. I will nurture my child by disciplining them in the Lord. Like, like discipline is a nurturing, is a nurturing ingredient in the home. Parents, it's our privilege, it's our role. Now, now here's what I know. There's a lot of resistance to discipline. I meet with a lot of parents. Now, some, some of the resistance is that I just don't know what to do. I don't know how to discipline. Others of you have had a bad experience in your home. You're like, my, my dad was a raging maniac, man, and just anger. And so what you've done is swung the pendulum over like, so we just don't do that. Because some of you don't discipline, maybe, or haven't disciplined, because you just want your kid to like you. You just want your kid. And so what happens is there's no discipline in the home, by the way, which is a easy way to aggravate and provoke your kid. Uh, I came across this quote by uh, Duke of Windsor. He said, The thing that impresses me most about America is that the way that the parents obey their children. It's interesting, right? It's like no discipline. He says, discipline them in the Lord, or maybe we can say it this way, discipline them in a way that reflects the Lord's discipline in the family of God. Well, how does God discipline his children. Hebrews 12 tells us, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. Let's just stop and make some observations. I have no slide for this. He says, don't make light. So, so the Lord disciplines and he says, don't make light of it. I would write this down somewhere. Discipline is serious. He's saying, take it seriously. Uh, we as children are told not to make light of discipline. God doesn't make light of it. Don't downplay discipline. We can downplay discipline, right? Oh, you know, kids will be kids. You know how that goes, right? Oh, his mom's so hard on him, right? We can downplay it. Uh, one way we downplay it is by not being consistent. And so our kids take it lightly because we're not consistent, he says, discipline's serious. For the Lord, look at this, for the Lord disciplines those he what? I heard you, he loves. And he punishes each one he accepts as his child. I would write this down, discipline is serious and discipline is loving. If I'm gonna discipline in a way that reflects the Lord's discipline, I'm gonna discipline in a way that's motivated by love. That means discipline is proactive, not simply reactive. Uh, discipline is not just an explosion of anger, but what discipline is, is an expression of love. 
Uh, discipline, when, it, when it's driven and it's surrounded by love, is not me, listen close, just me, surround, just, just me responding to a situation. But discipline is me training a child. Different. See, sometimes what happens when anger gets in the way, I'm, I, I used to do this, it's because I'm, 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 I'm upset that I've been inconvenienced or somebody did something and the situation, I can't believe. When I see discipline through the eyes of training my child, loving my child, it takes on a different... He says he disciplines those he loves. And he treats them as, and accepts them as a child. I find that interesting because he says on down, as you endure this divine discipline, remember God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who's never disciplined by his father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you're illegitimate, not really his children. That's interesting, right? I mean, that's just fascinating the way he says that. It means this. I would write this down. Discipline's serious. Don't make light of it. Discipline is driven by, motivated by, ignited by love. And discipline is part of my role as a parent. And it's a gift that God's given to me for the sake of my child. Remember we said this last week? The roles we have in marriage are that? Like discipline is a gift that God has given to us as parents for the benefit of our children. I think it's fascinating if you keep reading on since we respected our earthly fathers. Listen, one way for you to lose respect is to not discipline. One way for you to lose respect is not discipline your kids. We respect who disciplines. Shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father of our spirits and live forever? For our fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how, but God's discipline is always good for us. Here's the deal. It's our role as parents. It is discipline cultivates respect. Listen close. And discipline is selfless. Oh, man. If it's going to reflect the Lord's discipline, it's always for who's good. It's always for our good. Remember this. You're a young parent. Just, just know this. If you're, if you've already raised your kids, you're like, oh, damn, you're right. Discipline is hardly ever convenient. Kids don't. Come on now. Kids don't act up when it's convenient. Hey, man, if you could just plan to be a toad on Saturday at two o'clock, I'll have some time to discipline. No, no, no. You know when they do it on the way to church. Uh, they do it when you need them to be doing something else. That's when they're going to do, they're going to act up. When the company comes over, that's when all of a sudden they're going to say the thing, right? Uh, they're they're going to say the thing to the people that you're like, and then you're embarrassed. And then what happens is, what happens is you want to discipline them for your good because you're embarrassed. You see how that works? He's saying, no, no, God's discipline is for our good. And so discipline isn't something I simply do to my child. It's something I do for my child. Uh, That's why I should say to my kids this, I'm I'm not trying to be fair in discipline. What I meant by that is this, well, this is how, when he did this, this is what you did to him. When she did this, I didn't try to be fair. I tried to do what was wise and good for that child. I wasn't always successful. 
You see, discipline is selfless. It's for the good. I'm fascinated at this passage in Proverbs. Discipline your children, for in that there's hope. Do not be a willing party to their death. Wow. Where there's no discipline, like when I don't discipline, maybe I'm struggling discipline. It's probably because it's inconvenient. It's probably because, right? Or when I just discipline out of anger. You see, to discipline for their good means there's going to be teaching moments, which if we went back, look back at this, leads to this, but God's discipline is always good for us when we share His holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. So parents just know that. I used to say, I used to, say to my kids, my love for you is greater than my need to be liked by you. Because I can tell you, when I was disciplining them, hardly ever did they like me. In fact, my daughter, one time she turned and said, I don't like you right now. <laughs> and I'm like, I bet you don't. Why? Because it's painful, but afterwards there's a, there's a peaceful harvest of right living for those who, circle that word, been trained in this way. Discipline, godly discipline, is, is training. It's part of discipleship. I'm, I'm training towards something. Can't, discipline can't be about protecting my image. Don't you embarrass me. But discipline is developing their character. I want to discipline them so that they can experience all that God has for them. Now, my wife and I came across this picture that was so helpful to us several years ago. Because I think what happens is when your child is young, you have high control. You take them everywhere they go. And so we would have parents that would say, you're, when, when they got older, uh, you guys are strict. And we were. There's control and, and so on and so forth. But, but here's the deal. As they grow over time, that control lessens. And somewhere, whether you know it or not, whether you like it or not, you've lost most of your control. But what you want is influence. And so... I love the way one guy, I need to transition from control due to my size. When my kids were little, I could just look at them and say, you need to, right? And what I want to transition to, because right about here, they start looking you eyeball to eyeball. I want to transition to influence that's driven by my relationship. The reason some people don't have relationship at this place is because here we try to be their friend. There's no discipline. Uh, Reggie Joyner had a chart. This is just helpful. You may take a picture of this. The different phases of parenting. And he says when we get those collywonkered or backwards, it, it, that chart gets off. The early years, ages one to five, is about obedience. But then they begin to be able to convert, and then there's training. And then there's coaching because all of a sudden, in adolescent years, I'm trying to coach them into independence, which the desire is when they're adults that all of a sudden that relationship is built and we can have a friendship. Isn't that powerful? But when I start here, I will compromise the ability to have that when they become adults. You see, I, I love that. He says, parents, I want you to nurture, bring them up in the discipline, 
serious, loving. It's your gift to your kid. It cultivates respect, and it's a way to train them. But he says instruction. Instruction. Uh, that word literally means educate, uh, admonition, to counsel them. Now, let me say it this way. Where there's discipline and no instruction, you'll exasperate your children. But where there is instruction and no discipline, you'll equally exasperate them. Here's what this means. Parents, discipline, instruction, means this. You are the primary, we are the primary, while our kids are growing up, spiritual coaches in our kids' lives. Uh, one stat said this, that kids spend 1% of their time in church, 18% of their time in school, 80% of their time at home. One author said it this way, home, not church, is the first lab for the gospel in kids' lives. I believe that. It's the first gospel. Uh, one uh, illustration is this. Uh, somebody talked about the number 936. Here's what they said. 936 doesn't sound like a lot when I think of it as the number of weeks my child spends at home. That's the number of weeks your kid from 0 to 18 spends at home. But that's it. You have 936 weeks. That's all the time we have from the day an infant is born until they're 18 and move on to what's next for them. 936. 18 birthdays, 18 spring breaks, 18 Christmases, 18 short, sweet summers. So what he says is nurture them in the training and instruction of the Lord. Well, how do we do, how, how do we, how do we do that? Well, here's a passage that's interesting to me. Deuteronomy, okay, right at the beginning of the story of God, God says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, the Shema. You're hearing some of that on the news, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. That Jesus even talks about this. That's, the, that's what God wants. These commandments, so that what's the most important command? Love God with everything inside of you. These commandments, what's the commandments? To love God with everything inside of me that I give you today are to be on your hearts. And then he says, parents, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Here's what I want you to write down. I nurture my children by making a lasting impression for the Lord on them. I think that's what he's saying. He says, I nurture them by impressing their heart, not simply by modifying their behavior. My child's heart is what matters most. Proverbs 4 says, guard your heart, it is the wellspring of life. And so I want to make an impression on their heart. I want to leave a lasting impression on my children for the Lord. That's what it means to nurture them in the instruction of the Lord. I think what he's saying is leave a lasting impression. Well, according to Deuteronomy 6, how does that happen? How does that happen? Well, let's go back. I think the first thing is this. These commandments that I give you today are to be where? On what? On your hearts. Uh, no slide for this. You ought to write this down. If I'm going to leave a lasting impression and nurture them in the instruction of the Lord, then I'm going to have to let them see what impresses my heart. 
I'm going to have to see, let them see what it is that drives me. Can I give you a little practical suggestion here? Parents, tell your children your God story. Uh, Not just how you got saved, but about your spiritual journey. I mean, like, I don't have one. Then that's the place to begin. God loves you. And Jesus came and died in your place so that you could have a relationship with God, be part of the family of God of forever hope. I can't tell how many funerals I do, and I'll sit with families and say, hey, what's your, you know, they'll say, my, my dad was a Christian. Tell me his story. How did he come to Christ? What was his relationship with God like? They're like, I don't know. We didn't talk about it. Like, don't let that be the story of your kids. Let them hear your story. Let If you have little kids at home, let them hear you talk to your heavenly father. Show them how big your God really is. You know how you show them that? By the steps of faith you're willing to take. Your God and what you believe about your God is only as big as the steps of faith you're willing to take. Here's what I'd say. This whole thing of the appetite of the things of God is something that's caught more than it's just taught. I just met with a guy this week and I said this, when my kids were growing up, I believe this, I read this somewhere and I believe it to the, from the bottom of my toes to the tip of my head that the most important thing I did for my kids was to love their mom beyond loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Like, like parents, if you're together, husband and wife, love their mom, love their dad. Show them a picture of the gospel. See, if I want to make an impression on my kids, they're going to have to see what makes an impression on my life. I would say this. Uh, that's not the thing. I would say, don't silo your spirituality. He said, impress them then on your children when you go to church. So I said, impress them when you do devotions tonight, which that would be a good idea to do. But he said, talk about them when you sit at home, walk along the road, lie down, get up. He said, make it part of the conversation. Don't silo your spirituality. See, your kids will be able to tell whether God is a part of your life or whether he has control of your life. And so so he says, hey, this is part of our conversation. I'm always fascinated. Like uh, the things that are really, really important to me uh, are easy to talk about when I'm sitting at home, easy to talk about when I'm walking along the road, easy to talk about when I'm lying down when I get up because they consume me. He says, I want this to be something you don't silo. Well, we go to church and talk about God, or we have our devotion, that's when we talk about God. And, and like, God wants all of us. And so that becomes the thing that drives all of us. I'm not gonna silo my spirituality. And, and then he says this, I want you to tie them on uh, as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, right? You don't have to do that. Like I wouldn't apply that directly. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. I think what he's saying here is make a plan to explain, to explain the heart of God found in the Word of God and to illustrate it. Like saturate your home with it. Make a plan. Uh, make a plan for, for my wife and I, when our kids were young, we had a formal time. We would sit down and we'd read Bible stories. We'd act them out. They would play different characters. As they got older, as they got older, all of a sudden that plan changed. Let me show you back this picture. That plan changed. So 
Here, we had very formal times. We sat, read the Bible together. They would act it out. As we crossed over here, we began to talk to them about their time in the Bible. You see how that works? Because remember, now we're coaching and, and now we're influencing. You see, I nurture them by making a lasting impression for the Lord. Parents, nurture your kids. Create the appetite. Leverage your role and relationship. You see, 30 years from now, the question is, what's going to matter most in that kid's life? What about children? Well, I didn't save a whole lot of time, right? Can we just say a couple things about kids? Children, honor. He says, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. But here's the, the crux of the passage. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment of the promise. Now, I, I know for some of you, and we're going to cover some of this in the podcast, this is just, you have different situations. Like, honor my father and mother, you don't even know my situation, and I got that. I, I, I hear you. And, and we'll, we'll address some of that. But, but when you look at this section, the big umbrella is honor. And it, it literally means, I have the Hebrew word right in front of me here. It means to fix the value, to, to, to assess the value and the price of something. And it's one of the top 10 commandments, right? It, it's, and it's a package deal. It comes with a promise. It says, honor them, and it comes with a promise so that it may go well with you, that you may enjoy long life on the earth. I always thought, man, mom will live to be 100 if I do that, right? I think what he's saying here is, is you want to see how society will begin to flourish. He says, pay attention to this. It leads to this question, well, what does that mean, honor my parents? I mean, they have some sort of authority over me until, I'm, until they die? I mean, how does that look? No, I think there's three things if you're taking notes and then we'll be done. First is this, I honor my parents by obeying them when I'm young. When he says, children obey your parents, that Greek word that he uses there means little child. That means elementary, preschool, middle school, high school, under the roof of my parents. He's saying, I honor them by obeying them. Doesn't mean I always agree with them even. Doesn't mean I always like them. But I honor their role as the authority in my life. God placed them there as a gift to me. Parents, the primary responsibility lies on us to teach our kids to obey. If you have little kids, I think that, that you can imply in here, it says children obey, but you can imply parents teach your children to obey. Uh, one author put it this way, how do we teach our children to obey? This is worth writing down right away, all the way, with a happy heart. Right away, all the way, with a happy heart. For their good. For their good. It's right out of a, a, a desire to be selfless. I want them to respond and recognize authority, namely the authority of God in their life. And I want them to obey right away, all the way and with a happy heart because that's how I want them to respond to God when he says something. So whether I'm in preschool, elementary, middle school, this is God's will for your life. Some of you guys are like, hey, pause, right? I gotta go get my kids. I think really the onus lies on us as parents to teach them to obey. 
I think, though, what happens, though, as I get into other phases, why honor my parents by showing them respect as I grow up. I really believe we live in a culture where there's a lack of honor for older people. Leviticus 19.32 says, Stand up in the presence of the aged. Show respect for the elderly. Revere your God. I'm the Lord. Uh, Proverbs 16.31 says, Gray hair is a crown of splendor. It's attained in the way of righteousness. How in the world can you and I respect our parents as we're growing up? Maybe you're a college student. Maybe you're uh, you know, beyond college in, in the workforce. Let me give you some things. I think we can respect them by the way we talk to them and about them. One of the things that I, that I, that, that I think we got to be careful is the way we talk to our parents. I've used this illustration many times when my one boy was growing up. He called me dude, and I'm like, hey, I'm not your dude. I'm your dad, right? It was a teaching moment. But I, I think as we grow up, one way we respect them is the way we talk to them, to show respect to them and the way we, we address them and the way we talk about them. Uh, we live in a culture where it's just gotten so free to to be dishonorable about the way we talk about people. You know, we're, we're called on to, to honor those in authority, those in government, the police. So, and we, it, it, it's almost become fashionable to just verbally vomit, dishonoring things about people. Tell them how I feel. And some of you have a lot of material when it comes to your parents. And yet I think one way to respect them is Ephesians 4.29 only say what's helpful for the benefit of those who are listening so that I might build them up. I think one way to respect them and honor them might be to say thank you, even if it's hard to find that thing. Like maybe to say thank you to them for providing for me. Uh, I think I read this stat, almost quarter million of dollars to raise a kid. That's what it costs, Right. So your kids, your parents at least did that. So maybe it's just, just write them a note and say thank you. Or maybe it's write them a note and say, I'm sorry. And I was an absolute hellion. And, and, and I didn't realize what I put you through until I had my own kids, right? Uh, you, you remember this Mark Twain quote? You've heard it before, I'm sure. When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But Mark Twain said, when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much he had learned in seven years. A little age would just do that, right? Uh, how about this? One way to respect and honor them as you're growing up is, why don't you, why don't you set a, a moment up to go sit and hear their story? It might explain a lot of things to you. Maybe they had challenges to overcome. I, I, I meet with a lot of people. And I honestly believe that kids get frustrated at their parents but have no idea the challenges their parents had to overcome. Have no idea the upbringing their parents had to endure. Uh, I think one way to respect them is to learn as much as I can from them. They have something to offer. You see, as a little kid, I'm going to obey them. As I grow up, I, I want to respect them. Right, I want to respect them out of reverence to Christ is my response to Christ. How about we end here? How about we say this? I'm going to honor my parents by providing help for them as they grow old. Providing help for them as they grow old. Now, what's fascinating here is Paul, in another letter to a young pastor, he actually was a pastor in Ephesus, 
It says, Honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. It's like it's pleasing in the sight of God for you to provide for your parents as they get old, to care for them. But if anyone does not provide, and you're like, Dan, is that a big deal for his relatives? And especially for members of his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than unbelief. There's something tied up in this that reflects the gospel that's important to the heart of God. You see, I think it boils down to this, that God's picture of the family is that we as parents would nurture, that we would leverage our role. We'd leverage our role in our relationship to create an appetite for the things of God by disciplining our children in a way that reflects the Lord's discipline, by making a lasting impression on our children in a way that would create the appetite for them to taste and see that the Lord is good. And I think it's children honoring their parents by obeying them when they're young, by respecting them as they grow up, and by providing and helping them as their parents grow old. See, here's the truth. Some of you are watching this and you're like, oh, Dan, that sounds great, but my family's a wreck. Well, what I love about God's picture of the family is it's rooted in creation and then sin jacked it up. And so it's redeemed in the gospel. And you just need to know something, if that's you, that you can experience a picture of God's ideal when it comes to the family in the gospel. But the gospel says this, that it's an invitation from God to belong to his family. And the invitation is not based on anything that you and I do, but what he did for us. That when Jesus came and died, he died in our place for our sin. That the moment we say yes to Jesus, God forgives us of our sin and invites us to be a part of his family. And you see, it's that part of his family that I can begin to experience what it's like to have an ideal father who loves me, who disciplines me perfectly. And it's in that environment that I can begin to heal maybe from some things that are just real with my family. And I can begin to pursue God's picture in a unique way. God has a better vision for our families than we've been presented. It's rooted in creation and it was redeemed in the gospel. Father, I pray that you would help us to somehow run into your picture for the family. God, help dads and moms. Some of them are struggling right now. God, I pray, I pray that you would help us to nurture our children, to create in them an appetite, to do what's hard and inconvenient sometimes. God, I pray for children, maybe middle school, high school watching this. God, that you would help us to, re, to honor our parents by recognizing their role in our life. Help all of us to respect our parents, to look for an opportunity to show honor to them by saying thank you, by sending a note. And God, some of us have aging parents and help us to honor them by providing for them and caring for them. And in some way to reflect to our world 
this gospel of a father who chased us down, who sacrificed it all so that we could be part of your family. I thank you for that. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you'll check the podcast out later this week as we dive a little deeper into this with some others around the table. God bless you. Have a great day.